Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Yeah, volume looks good. Yeah, that sounds fine. Okay, let's do it. Hey, welcome to the podcast, Father John. Father Nathan. And uh, a rather gloomy Wednesday. Yep, we are in fall. We are fully in fall. Things are dying, aren't they? As somebody said, it's time for sweaters and PSL. PSL. Pumpkin spice. Yeah. Only a Boulderite would know what that uh, is. Oh, sorry. Okay. That was spoken by Chris Considine, <laughs> Deacon Chris Considine. I said, who are you? Considine, I got in the line today, and he was uh, distinguishing between Patagucci yeah. and Fratagonia. Fratagonia. And he was discerning between one of the poor young pre-theologians who happened to wear his Patagonia better sweater today was he what is a fratagonia fratagonia i don't know it was this distinction that uh your uh your boy was making i i, I walked into the conversation late so i'm actually discerning whether or not i want to remove the the patch of patagonia i've always wanted to just put a big stegosaurus um, i know but you know what that's lame that's what Easterman does he takes patagonia off it's like it's like you're wearing you're wearing patagonia so Positively considered, you're saying, I don't want people to know that I'm wearing Patagonia. True. Because I'm so humble. Negatively considered, you're like, I, want all the I don't want people to know that I'm wearing Patagonia because I'm so humble. You follow? True, yeah. I could go either way. Yeah, but well, if I put a Stegosaurus over... Can I put a Stegosaurus on the opposite side? I'll put Patagonia, but then I'll also put another Stegosaurus patch. Why don't you just put a patch under it that says, I'm still a D-bag? Because that's kind of what you want to say, right? Stegosaurus. I still like I still like the brand, but I'm just not as excited about. You're ashamed to wear the brand. I just don't need to be popping, you know. You don't want to be branded, right? Well, I'll stick around long enough, and it won't be cool anymore. I don't like uh, the the. Sometimes I wear like a Nike uh, like a dry wick shirt uh, mm-hmm. underneath, and they put a Nike logo right where you would normally unbutton. Yeah, you know. Um, so that they would still see the swoosh. And I'm kind of like, that's a little excessive. If I said but, to you, I want to wear a St. Louis Blues jersey, but I'm going to take the St. Louis Blues logo off, what would you say to that? Then you'd just be wearing a jersey. Right. But I mean, So why wear it? Well, that's different because the reason why you wear Patagonia is because you actually like the quality. Right. I'm still sore that the Blues beat the... Uh, you should night. be sore because the back-checking Ugh. in that second period was a thing of beauty. No, we were... You guys, you guys check hard, as Coach Bednar said, and uh, we didn't bring our legs. Well, that second period was just it was too we much. We played lousy. Listen, Avs were number one in the league there for a little bit. We'll take that, you know. But we oh, just trust always me, they're still going to be well, fine. Well, Miko Rantanen's out, so we just we just continually lose to the Blues, and it drives me crazy because that's your team, and I'm like, why can't we beat? Them? I mean, yeah. you guys won the Stanley Cup, but it was like you were terrible, even even as when you were terrible at the in True. the uh, beginning of the season last year. So we're dancing around because neither of us want to get into the topic right now. Yeah. So I'll just do it. Um, we've been talking about uh, the probability of this um, uh, clergy report that was going to come out in Colorado um, for the last seven months. Um, so for those of you that aren't in Colorado, uh, the diocese, uh, the three dioceses of uh, Colorado, Pueblo, Colorado Springs, and Denver. Uh, entered into a voluntary independent file review uh, with an independent party. Uh, 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 They agreed 
with the attorney general that the two sides would give uh, their recommendations, their kind of files over to this independent file review. And then that person, uh, who was a former U.S. attorney, Bob Troyer, would compile a report and then share it with the two parties, the attorney general and the diocese, and give specific recommendations as well as detail uh, what he found in the in the files of these priests. Um, the uh, The report came out today. Uh, it's 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 listed October twenty second, twenty nineteen, but I guess it was released today on twenty third, which is interesting because the twenty second is the feast of John Paul II. Uh, today's John of Capistrano, but um, we're we got dropped on us a two hundred and fifty six page document um, at about ten thirty today, and it is about four o'clock right now. So we are in the seminal stages of dealing with um, the the report itself and the information that's listed in here. So we wanted to turn on the microphones uh, because uh, we, we found great benefit, not just in coming up with some answer uh, to the situation of the clergy sex abuse in Pennsylvania, the report, the grand jury report that came out there, but also like to deal with it as one who is uh, both a priest um, who knew some of these uh, priests in that are listed in this report, as well as kind of going forward um, as priests of the Archdiocese of Denver. Yeah, we, uh, um, yeah, for the first time in the history of the podcast, this is actually timely, right? Just so happened we were podcasting this afternoon. We didn't get, uh, yeah. um, didn't get one out last week. He was on retreat. I was in Rome. Um, but uh, when we did the one after McCarrick and uh, Pennsylvania last summer, uh, which was good, you know. It was important that we did that. It was difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one is different because this just hits home. This is just, this is, you know, guys listed in this report were at your parish, you yep. know. And you got, I mean. And it, your parish. And my parish, yep. And, uh, you know, I looked up to some of these guys, you know. Um, one of them, great mountaineer, founded the our camp, you know, in the 50s. Yeah. And uh, it's just. I was a pallbearer for another one of them. Yeah, it's heart-wrenching. And it's really infuriating. And I think if there was a general, I don't know, thing that where I'm at, it's just like disgust and and uh, low-grade uh, rage. It was just like kind of un... I don't know. You read the, you, We read the report, or parts of it at least, and um, it's, uh, it's pretty devastating. Yeah, so I, the, the helpful thing that I've found is... Um, they give sort of an executive summary of not only the three dioceses, but also specifically Denver, um, kind of giving recommendations in regards to uh, how do you run an office of child and youth protection? How do you get people um, invested in, you know, protecting children from, uh, if you see something, say something standpoint, from a, a victim's assistance coordinator, all of those things. Those are all important recommendations going forward. What I think is powerful and um, nauseating are the 60-plus pages of uh, the detailed report of the sex abuse of of minors. And when I mean detailed report, it's like names, places, dates, when they knew, when this person, you know, made the outcry. Um, And when you start lining up everything, it's like, my goodness, how can—how could— these things happen and, and nobody knew about it. 
Or if somebody knew about it, how could they not say something about it? And this is the combination that we've everybody's been dealing with over the last few years. Is you have the combination of um, just disgusting actions, and then the conspiracy of silence, as they say. You know that people who knew didn't act, um, and that's what's um, just as devastating. So, just to give a brief uh, rundown of. Um, the basic numbers of what we're looking at here, it, we're in Denver, Colorado, um, is where we're podcasting. And so mm-hmm. this is the Archdiocese of Denver from 1950 onwards. 22 priests, 128 victims. Of those 22 priests, 15 are dead, one's in prison, six are out of ministry. Um, and this is over, you know, there's over 500 priests who have served in that time period. So this is a, under 4%, which they say is around the national average. There's been no substantial allegations in the last 20 years. Uh, Nine out of the 10 were before 1980. 70% uh, were before 1970. And and this is where it gets shocking. 50% were by one man. Yeah. One man. Robert White. 75% were by four. Um, And, uh, you know, this is, uh, uh, you know, these are minors, mostly mostly boys. Um, Overwhelmingly boys. Overwhelmingly boys. 90%. 90% 90% between the ages of 10 and 14 was the majority. Right. And uh, which is interesting because that's different than the numbers you see. Uh, the national average, we read uh, one in four girls abused and one in six boys abused before the age of 18. Mm. So this is not in proportion. This is different. So Yeah. And, uh, um, and then the average time that the Archdiocese knew about about 25 years between the incident and the report. So there's, there's, there's a lot of complexity here. Um, yeah. And this, re- this report is, is detailed and very uh, difficult because it's, you're, you're trying to get your head around what the hell happened in the last 75 years. Mm-hmm. And, um, and how, how is this possible? And at what point did, did things start changing, not just from an ecclesial standpoint, but from a, a cultural standpoint? Because, I, I mean, even mandatory reporting wasn't necessarily uh, the law until a certain time. And then uh, were, we following, were we following the law and in what, in what manner? You know, because sometimes these, these reports happened, uh, but the priest was already dead. Um, so it was kind of like, well, how do, we make a, how do you make a report for something that happened many, many years ago? And the person who's the uh, perpetrator has already passed away. It's just a matter now of like if if we receive a report like that, we know exactly how to handle it. And I think that they've said that even now, like within the last twenty years, we've we've handled ourselves uh, pretty uh, blamelessly. I mean, they always have recommendations, but you can always grow. You know, you can always get better. Yeah. So um, we had a good meeting with all the priests last week. Um, Good in the sense that uh, we were. This didn't come. This wasn't like a shock. I mean, uh, right. that we knew about it before the report. They didn't just drop it, or they didn't raid the archdiocese, or something like this has happened across the United States. But you just have to say, um, you know, what is, uh, you know, yeah, just trying to get your head head around um, what does this mean? And um, I'll tell you two things that happened today. Uh, one, which will kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Um, uh, and I'll tell I'll tell that one second. First, I just I didn't want to be in public in the Roman collar today. I was ashamed of being a priest today when I read this, and I was like, "F that, I'm going out." So I just decided I took my 
papers and midterms, and I was like, I'm going to go sit at Stella's for the morning in the collar because I need to be outside because yeah. you're still a priest. But if I felt that, mm-hmm. and just to acknowledge that, that just like I am, you get used, as a Catholic, you get used to suffering the sins of the church in the past. People bring up all kinds of crap sure, from yeah. centuries back. But this is so toxic and so disgusting that it's like I can't believe I can't believe I'm affiliated with these guys. You know that was the that was the feeling this morning, and so I went there, worked on, and then I read uh, von Balthasar and Priestly Spirituality, and um, I'm going to do a podcast on this next time we do it. He has an essay called "The Priest I Seek," and I was like, "That's why I'm doing this. It's not because of these bastards." Um, and uh, so that was that was good to just. Get out there in the collar and uh, and just to say, you know what, mm-hmm. to get back into the mystery of Christ, to put that at the center of everything again, and uh, and to come to Him in the moment of that. So just to be honest about that. Then I went to mass at noon um, at the seminary, and our guys were, uh, I don't know, I felt like a just like a like a felt presence of heaviness and just darkness. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because I'm around the chancery in the seminary, yeah, but sure. guys are guys are hurting, guys are confused, guys are sad. Seminarians, and you could just feel it in chapel. And then Father Brady gets up to, uh, he's the celebrant to preach. And I'm like, oh, "Oh, man, this is going to be deep and dark because he's Mr. Melancholic and he's probably feeling this like a thousand times more than I am, right? He gets up to the pulpit today and he goes, Well, guys, I had this homily prepared, but it was on the wrong gospel. So I'm just going to wing it. And he goes, did I ever tell you guys the joke about uh, the gorilla? Or what does he say? He's about the guy who wants to work at the zoo. And he said, well, we just had a gorilla die. And he tells this yeah. whole oh, yeah. long joke. Right. With the lion. With the lion. Shh. You're going to get us both caught. You're going to get us both caught. And 90% of the homily was him just going off the cuff. And Brady doesn't really go off the cuff. Like, no. It's kind of on his thing. No. You know? And uh, so I'm just like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And then he like really goes for it, but it does kind of doesn't land. And he just like bursts out laughing. And everybody's kind of like, this is, the, this is one of the worst homilies ever. And he, he knew it. And he sits down. And I was like, that's exactly what we needed. Just like a completely ridiculous moment where it was like a, it was like a pressure release of just like, yeah. okay, we can just breathe again, you know? Yeah, uh, and it was funny how I don't know how sometimes God's providence just—it's like our cleanup batter comes up on the one day, you know. True. And uh, he goes out swinging, and it was just like, well, it was actually kind of good. I, th- I think that it—it it did something for the guys and uh, in the community today. So he's also just so you know, folks, he's in spirituality. Or Brady's the the assistant director of the spirituality or co-director of the spirituality. Or so there is a slight possibility that he you know like didn't check his email or right. didn't know all this was going down but no he knew um, it was yeah i mean yeah. that's funny because my two things uh my day was i want to get up and make coffee i want to get up and get in the chapel i want to go and get in front of the in front of the people to do exactly what i f- want to be doing for the next 50 years which is saying mass and delivering just a freaking screamer of a homily. Oh, it's just a freaking hot shot. Because yesterday, yesterday was such a great gospel. It's one of my favorites. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And I was all by myself. And, you know, you can't preach your homily to yourself. You can try, but, you know, it just ends up sounding like self-help talk. Um, but then today was, uh, 
uh, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then the gospel was the wicked servant who uh, deserves a severe beating. And I said, what God is going to do, what God is going to do is he's going to bring order to his household. And he knows the hour that his house is going to be broken into. And he's there to face that person. And the judgment on these men, as we mentioned before, is going to be terrible and swift. And he will actually bring down upon them a judgment that is beyond anything of what the state can hand out. The state can kill the body. God is the one who judges the soul and the body and has the ability to cast both into Gehenna. And in that, God is the one who brings justice. And if we, if we want to trust ourselves, entrust ourselves to the state and say that they're the ones that are going to bring justice to the situation, we're fools. They're not going to be the ones, they haven't been the ones that have been able to bring order. They're able to bring some light to bear on the situation, but, but not everything. And, uh, and anyway, so God is the one who not only made heaven and earth, but is actually going to reorder the hearts of persons who have fallen away from him. And he's going to hear the cry of the poor. And then the other thing was, there is no other thing that I want to be than in my clerics in moments like this, because uh, I am a, I'm not, most of the time I, I want to play the game of, you know, be, you know, all things to all persons. In this situation, I cannot help but be a priest. Because if I try to run from it, then uh, I don't know what else I would be. I mean, I don't, I don't have another job. I don't have another email, like, that I would use, you know. Like, I, I can't get around it. Even my, even my Apple ID, when I, you know, text people now, includes my picture that has me in a collar, you know. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, if there are other people who have done these atrocities, I didn't do them. And if they're upset at me, well, then uh, they probably have a reason to be upset. But, like, I can't, I can't control that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that I think that it's going to be easy. I mean, I haven't, I haven't left my property today. I didn't go to Stella's. I didn't go to Whole Foods. I've been in those situations where you go to, you go to a, you know, outside, you know, kind of unfiltered environment, and people look at you, they grab their kids, pull them away from you, whisper things around you. And and I I think it's yeah I mean it, it's going to happen for a while yeah but yeah that, that's, and I'm not saying I'm ashamed to be a priest I'm just saying oh, that I was that was the initial movement was hide hide in the seminary today well I hid in my parish and uh, that's all that's all I'm saying is like uh, it's uh, yeah we got up today we put the clerics on we're back out there and we're doing it again tomorrow we're gonna do it for the rest of our life right. And, uh, and we're not going to be ashamed, but, um, and the other, the funny thing is, is that they don't care. The world doesn't care. Right. Um, at Stella's, nobody cares. They're just doing their own thing. I expect people to be enraged, but they don't care because the church doesn't matter in the secular sphere. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in the hip parts of Denver, in the Highlands. It does maybe out here, you know, simpler people working, I don't know, still connected to the land, but in the city, it's like, we don't care. You're just, you're just yeah. you're dead. They're kind of repeating what they have already felt all along, which is, um, this is a fanciful, uh, not even religion, cult. This is a fanciful cult, 
And the main question they said today in the press conference was, do you believe that kids are safe in the Catholic Church? And the, the attorney general couldn't answer that question. And, you know, it's not really up to him to make that determination or anything else, but that's what they're wondering. Are kids safe in the Catholic Church? And they're not asking the question, are kids safe in the whole culture? I mean, with everything going on. I mean, you're not even safe in the Olympics, given all right. the abuse that happened. You're not safe in Hollywood, given all the abuse that happened. And yes, the spotlight is on us. I mean, pun intended in a way. But like the spotlight's on us, and they're looking at us. And I'm like, you know what? If we get through all of this, and we we have to make, uh, whether it's reparations or apologies, or to have ourselves shamed for a little bit, we'll do it. But then we're just going to continue on, you know? Because it's not a question of, are kids safe or not in the Catholic Church? The question is, are we doing what we can to advance the gospel? And the gospel cannot be received if we have persons who are acting in a way against the truths of faith that we're trying to impart. All right. The hard part is, like, you know, one lady already said to me, she said, that priest, that priest gave me my first communion. That priest married me. And I'm like, well, the sacraments are still valid. Um, they don't affect the sinfulness of the minister, don't affect the validity of the sacraments, but it sure does draw it into question. Was that just a mirage? Was that just like, you know, a, a crazy thing that I went through? Did it mean anything? And it did. And that is important for, you know, people who, who have, you know, maybe even people in Denver who are seeing names and saying, you know, what about these sacraments or what about this? And yeah, St. Augustine was dealing with this in the uh, fourth, fifth century with Donatism of, uh, does the, does the worthiness, is this, is the church and her efficacy conditioned by the worthiness of the minister? And the answer is no, it's not. Christ is not, they don't have that kind of power to destroy the church. They just simply can't do it. And, um, you know, if you're looking for uh, places to go in terms of just some reading to help navigate this, the, the two things that I've found most helpful are Benedict Sixteenth published last April. Do you remember that? That unpublished yes. essay that he did oh, yeah. on the sex abuse scandal? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he just came, Benedict came out of the, uh, out of the, you know, out of his monastery and just kind of published this thing. And it was very powerful. But where did he point to? He pointed to the revolutions of 1968, right? The fight for what he, the all-out sexual freedom with no norms, right? And he talks about how um, everything kind of is hinged on that, like the collapse of, uh, and, and just this kind of radical moral license. And I, I think that he's got a great insight here to say that when the world blew up and morality blew up, in the, it's not to say that there wasn't problems before. There certainly was. But that's when it became so mainstream, so acceptable, so permissive that even good people in leadership didn't know how to get their hands around it because everybody uh, was just saying, this is, this is just normal. This is just it, right? Yeah. Whether it's a homosexual culture in the seminaries, which were dominant across the United States, or these abusive minors, right? Which, as we're seeing here, the numbers are, they're connected. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's what he points to, is this the radical revolution that took place in the late 60s when everything just started to kind of blow up. So, yeah, he goes into it uh, at length here. I won't kind of tie into it, but the rejection of the magisterium and the, and the rejection of that. But I, it's worth reading. Um, 
if you uh, if you have a chance. And he and he's very clear about you know um, all of these problems that took place. Um, so have you have you seen this? Have you read this? Yeah, I've read yeah. part of it. Yeah. And then the other one, which people are probably more familiar with, is the uh, um, the uh, letter to a suffering church by Bishop Robert Barron, which is a, sh- a short essay that was uh, published, and it's it's been pretty well. Um, you know, um, disseminated throughout the uh, the United States, and it's just very good. And the the title of this podcast, which I think we'll take from Barron, is a diabolical masterpiece. That's what he calls this: the whole sex abuse. Hmm. And here's what he says at the beginning of the uh, of the letter: It was a diabolical masterpiece. I'm talking about the scandal that has gripped the Catholic Church for the past thirty years and continues to wreak havoc even today. He says, when I was going through the seminary, it was fashionable to conceive of the devil as a symbol of evil in the world, a sort of colorful literary device. But the storm of wickedness that has compromised the work of the church in every way and that has left countless lives in ruins is just too ingenious to have been the result of impersonal forces alone or merely hu- human contrivance. And he goes through the exquisite design, he says, that has corroded Catholic credibility so completely that the church's work of evangelization, catechesis, preaching, outreach to the poor, recruitment of vocations, and education has been entirely crippled. And the members of the church, especially the most vulnerable, have lived through the nightmare which seems to be impossible to wake. This is the reality uh, that we're facing, is that um, just as God works through human beings, so too evil works through human and, and he has this very interesting, uh, he draws on uh, a very famous painting by... Um, Luca Signorelli, which is in Orvieto in the cathedral. I've se- I saw this in the spring when I was there. It's a picture of the Antichrist, and he's preaching, and he looks like Jesus. But ben- behind him is, yeah. is the devil whispering in his ear, and he actually has his arm tucked into his cloak. So it's actually Satan's arm yeah. that he's acting with, yeah. right? And that's what Baron is kind of pointing to here, is that Mm -hmm. um, this is not a sociological crisis. This is not a a political, social problem in itself. It it has ramifications. This is a spiritual crisis. Yeah. Absolutely at the the core. And I don't, but the the only thing that I would caution, and I haven't read that letter yet, because, and I, I wanted to read it after this report came out, because I think it's stupid to read a book an essay on something, bef- it's like getting the prescription before you realize you have the disease. And for this report to come out and actually to see all of it, now I'm like, now nah, I need to read that. Um, but what I don't want, and I don't think he's doing that in there, but what I don't want people just to say is, oh, these men were possessed. The real person at fault is the devil. Ultimately, yes, sin entered the world through the evil one. But the image that I have is the one that's the very simple yet profound meditation that Ignatius has people make on the long retreat, which is the two standards. There's Jesus and there's the devil. And Jesus calls to persons to invite them to follow him, and the devil commands people to follow him. And people make choices. And when you make those choices, you become what you choose. Mm -hmm. And so when you see Nazis, there's a way in which you see Nazis and you're like, these are wicked, evil men. But you wouldn't necessarily say that they're demons, but they've aligned themselves so fully with the implication of evil in the world that when you see a whole group of Nazis marching, you say to yourself, that's wickedness on the march. And when I see listed out all of these abuses by priests in situations of power, I say to myself, those are forces of evil. Those are men, priests, 
who aligned themselves and became what they chose. They became evil, wicked shepherds who preyed upon their sheep. And for them, that's where I say God will deliver a judgment that is terrible and swift and much more impressive and exacting than anything that the state could ever deal out. Right. And and just to clarify that Barron is very clear on that. He says, um, I am in no way by means implying that human beings bear no responsibility. Yeah. Just the contrary. The devil works typically through suggestion, insinuation, temptation, yeah. and seduction. Yeah. He's essentially powerless until he finds men and women who will cooperate with him. And we willingly do it. Right. We willingly do it in, in small ways and in big ways. And, and, and that's where, I mean, I, and I wasn't insinuating that Barron wouldn't have that kind of perspective, but I've already had some people say, well, this is the result of X, Y, and Z, and trying to figure it out. And it's like, no, it's, it is as simple as, are you choosing Christ or are you choosing the evil one? Yeah. Because if you're choosing that, then ultimately you're going to become the kind of person that you choose, right? The things that you choose, right? Yeah, he. Uh, um, it, this is not an easy. This is not an easy read. This isn't just a, a kind of a pep rally. Like it's going to be okay. What he does is he starts with the, the kind of spiritual collapse, yeah. but he locates it in scripture, which is very helpful. And then he moves into the history of the church. He has a chapter called "We've Been There Before." Yeah. And at the parish I'm helping at, I said, "Do you want to give this out to the people?" And he says, "No," because I don't like that. He didn't like that part of it. But he talks about, you know, he goes through the list, John the Twelfth, Benedict the Ninth, Alexander the Sixth, Leo the Tenth, and then he talks about people like Dante and Chaucer and Erasmus who are responding to the corruption yeah. of you know, wicked wicked popes, w- wicked clergy who have been there, you know, at times from the beginning. This is what he said this he quotes Hiller Belloc. This is a, a great but very striking line. He says the the Catholic Church is an institution I'm bound to hold. This is Belloc hold divine. But for unbelievers, a proof of its divinity might be found in the fact that no merely human institution conducted with with such knavish imbecility would have lasted a fortnight. Exactly. And I have to say that uh, um, being in Rome last week and being at a canonization and then being here this week with this mm-hmm. uh, this report, it's like the full extreme of the church. Yep. You know, you see John Henry Newman, right? the model of sanctity, John Paul II, who we celebrated, all of these things. Um, and then this is just, you see the full spectrum. Yeah. But what is the church without this, right? It's not, it can't possibly be divine and human. It just becomes this kind of hypostasis that's up in heaven mm-hmm. that just exists, or this spiritual church that Luther and Calvin would say, nobody can actually know if you're a part of or not, right? Or you just kind of create your own thing. And so we find ourselves deeply affiliated with the Church of Christ, the Bride of Christ, which is mysteriously pure and holy, as, as we know from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but at the same sense filled with sinners. Mm-hmm. And the mystery of how do you kind of sort through that. But one of the things I love in this book is that Barron says very clearly, there's no good reason to leave the church. Yeah. There's never a good reason to leave. He says there's a lot of reasons to hate the clergy, to be pissed off at the, the failures of leadership. There's never a good reason to leave. Yeah. And he's like, this is not the time to leave. This is the time to stay and fight. And I, I think that's, I think he's, he's a beautiful, he's a beautiful writer. And, yeah. uh, and he's, and he's, he's pointing an honest way forward, I think for us. Yeah. And I'm, uh, I, I, I said to the people today, I was like, you're the daily mass crowd. 
you're not going to leave over this. You're not going to be surprised over this. You're going to be here tomorrow for donuts, and you're going to show up for confession on Saturday, and you'll be at the, the novena and all of those things. It's the people who are already susceptible, who are already lacking in a, a deeper trust and confidence, uh, that this is just going to be another reason for them to say, why bother? You know? And so we actually have to point to the only thing that is going to make sense at this time. And Balthazar talks about it, which is in times like these and scandals like these, the only thing that is actually relevant to people's um, understanding to, to say, is the church holy, is the saints. And the saints aren't just St. Francis and St. You know, John Henry Newman. It's, you know, Betty Gibbs, who lost a kid, you know, to a drowning accident and, you know, stayed faithful all of her life and was just poor and gave away her money and... I mean, like, that kind of lady, you look at her and you just say, my God, she didn't become that kind of lady because she read a lot of, you know, Oprah self-help books. Like, she became that kind of lady because she invested deeply in the mystery of the church, which is a reconciling love. And, and I said, it's, it's all of you that are going to win back people to the church. It's not just me. I'm going to preach a homily on Sunday, and some people might remember it, and some people won't. But they're going to look at your good deeds, and they're going to look at your faith, and they're going to look at the way in you love the way in which you love one another, and they're going to say, "Maybe I'll stay in the church." Or they're going to look at the fact that you just stayed, that you're yeah. still faithful, right? right? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're not an impressive Catholic. Maybe you don't have your life together. Maybe people don't look at you as the model of sanctity. Maybe you're sure. irascible and impatient and difficult. But you stayed. But you stayed. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's what we forget. People feel so guilty because Caesar holds the sword, and there's nothing the modern world loves more than to remind us of Christian hypocrisy. Right? Yeah. That this is the this is the pastime of of the modern modern man is to say, let us remind you again, Christians, how you have failed the world. Let us remind you again how you do not live up to Christ, how you fail to live the gospel. Yeah. I don't think there's apart from maybe just sheer mockery of Christian morality. I don't think there's a, a more favorite pastime on Saturday Night Live, in the Denver Post, in all of this, in the realm of politics, than to say, let us be mindful once again of how hypocritical and therefore useless Christianity is. Because right. the only person you can trust is the state, not the church. You trust the state. Which is why I said how beautiful, and this is what I'm going to say on Sunday, how beautiful that today we are gathered in the church of St. Joan of Arc. Because if there's anybody that understands that abuse of power can lead to grave consequences, it's St. Joan of Arc. Yeah, absolutely. And our faith is in part a result of the actions, wicked actions of these men and the heroic actions of the saint. And they converge, and then somehow we end up with a woman who was burned at the stake, condemned by the priests and bishops, and then later, but not for many, many years, was her story retold, and she was exonerated, and then the truth came out. Right. And that was just one person. And for some of these people, like, they, uh, they weren't listened to. And I think that St. Joan of Arc can actually be a beautiful intercessor for them. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, she died because of the results of wicked men, and other people died, and some even like through their own hand or through their own decisions that they made, resulting from the abuse that they suffered and the lack of help that they received from the diocese. I mean, at one point it said, the diocese offered this person two years of, of counseling. I said, two freaking years? 
The dude was molested for how long? And, and they're going to get two years of counseling. So we've got to do a better job. We've got we've to really commit ourselves to this is who we are. This is what we do. And, uh, and I, I think, we're, I think we're, we're returning to that, but we always have to be reminded of it. Right. And these are just moments in which the, the scourge of the, 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 the state, the, the, the state scourging or scouring our kind of records and everything else is only going to lead us to return back to what we should be all along. Right. And I agree with you completely. We have to, we have to change the way, and this can never happen again, as the Archbishop told us last week. But at the end of the day, the reason we, we get up in, in the pulpit, the reason we go to Stella's Coffee Shop in the Clerics yeah. is because we're being configured to the crucified and humiliated Lord. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's doing, is he wants his church to radiate her interior cruciformity. Not this, not this powerful, triumphalistic church that, that has existed at times in history, which is not real, right? Beneath it is the poor, beaten, and broken Christ. And if this is his body, this is, this is, the, the, this is the reality. And if we are configured to him as priests, then we have to be configured to this. And so we have to suffer this. Yeah. And we have to suffer it in love because of Jesus. And that's the invitation, is the church is being broken, right? We're, we're going into uncharted territory here, uncharted waters. Mm-hmm. We don't know, we don't know what, what this will look like, but we do know this. We've completely lost credibility, right? Yeah. We have lost, and I have to talk about this in Fundamental Theology, 8 a.m. tomorrow, credibility. How do you bring about the credibility of Christ, of the gospel, when the church is possibly more discredited than it ever has been in history, certainly in the history of our country? That is the question. And that's what we're left with. And I think it has to be that everything is turned back towards the poor, broken, crucified Savior. Everything is now fixed on him. And all of this other crap is passed away. And all of the, all of the you know, scaffolding that we've put on the church that we think actually holds it together, that has to fall away. Everything has to go. We can't keep living some kind of imperial or triumphalistic trappings anymore, right? Yeah. It has to be pure discipleship, pure, radical, complete discipleship of the crucified. That's it, period. If you're getting into priesthood, if you're going to live this in the world as a layman, you have no other option. In fellowship, not just singular, but uh, corporeal, because we live this together. It's not just my personal following of Jesus. It's it's our fellowship, our shared commitment, our own reception of the body and blood of Jesus, which is poured out into the whole church, sanctified and uh, full of sinners. And that's consumed by the very priests and by the very people that run the risk of either grave sin or of high sanctity. And that's the possibility. That's what I, that's what I think there really is, a, is an invitation. We're in this together. Because if not, then it just becomes Protestantism. I need to follow Jesus We're more closely. We're in this closely. together, presuming that priests are in this together. If we get up there and we're like, we're tough enough, we're, we're strong enough, we're, we're doing this fine by ourselves, which is what we're basically asked to do, right? I'm not, yell- I'm not yelling at you. I'm, no, yelling, I hear you. I'm yelling at the bishops. Right? I, I'm Quit here. sending us out on our own and then telling us, you need to be more accountable. You need to be more transparent. You can never let this happen again. I'm like, right. why don't you put us together Right. So that we're accountable and transparent and praying together. I'm not yelling at you. No, I hear you. And my computer's going to die, so we've got to wrap this up. Yeah, but what I would say is, 
because it can't just be these were wicked men and we're going to forget about them. Actually, these were our brothers and we're a family. And when I, when I meditated on this, I said to myself, this, I'm a father and this was my brother. So my, the uncle of my kids uh, abused, abused them. But at the same time, I can't just say, you're out of the family. Nope, this was, this was a member of our own family, which is even more shameful because the same blood that's in him is in the same blood that's in me. And it's the same blood that's in you. And so we actually need each other. Instead of just saying, let's just create this environment which everything's fine. We have this program. We've been faithful for the last 20 years. You will never be able to sanitize the church where there's no sin, ever. And even the attorney general said that today. The other thing I want to, the other thing I want to point to, because I think this is important, is there's two things. The Archden website, so archden.org slash promise, that's where a lot of the information that we've received is coming out from. I would encourage people to read it because it does present not just our side of the story, but also what we are doing, what we're committed to, and what's going to be going forward. The other thing uh, was the five points that, um, that uh, we had sent out to us, which is it's appropriate to feel angry. Our hearts are with the survivors. We can always do better and must never get complacent. Our culture has changed Thanks to many of the people out in the pews and to the commitment that we have and support your priests. I thought those were great. And again, you can find that at archden.org slash promise. But I, I, I think that we do have to do many of these things, but we're going to do them together. It's not just I promise. It's that we're in this, in this culture and in this church together and we need one another. And we ask God in his goodness uh, to purify us of every evil intention and fix us completely on that which is going to lead to life. And the only place where ultimately there's life is at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop, to, for everything that you've done for the bishops of, of Colorado, um, to Bob Troyer and the Arch or Attorney General. I mean, I think this is an important And moment. Father Randy Dollins, our, our, vicar, Amen. our vicar for clergy, who has to suffer this in a particular way. Yeah. I yeah. think that I think that it's, it's good that we've gotten to this place. We're going to be together going forward. Um, and so uh, thank you, listener land. We ask for your prayers for all victims, uh, for all uh, the people in the church who are suffering in any way. Um, and we thank you for listening. Next week, we're coming back with a positive and encouraging, positive and encouraging. amazing topic. Shout outs galore. We, we, you know, we do this family style, which means that we can't just we can't just put on personalities and record. We have to, we got to just, this right. is coming out of our life and we're, we're angry today. We're sad. We're also, we're, we're, we're hopeful. You yeah. Know? And uh, we're in this together. So thanks for dealing with the rawness of this podcast. If this is the first one you've ever listened to, sorry, this is not what they're usually like, but uh, this is where we're at today. Right. So thanks for listening. Catholic yeah, Stuff Podcast. Yeah, go check ahead. it out. And Gmail. Check it out. Uh, See you later. Com. See you next week.